Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, are you an inclusive colleague in the workplace? You may think you are, but the truth is we all could probably do better. Also this morning, the IRS is accepting returns, and by now you should have all of your W-2s and 1099s, but before you file, we'll tell you what you need to know about this year's tax law changes. In our high school basketball preview today, Findlay head coach Jim Rookie talks about the Trojans' weekend games and prepping for the upcoming tournament draw. And we have another collection of delicious recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, February 3rd, 2023. Forty-five days until spring, no matter what the groundhog says. Uh, yesterday, Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow, meaning, as tradition holds, we will have six more weeks of winter. However, as the 137th annual ceremony goes into the record books, how many of us uh, really pay attention to Groundhog Day? It turns out, uh, quite a few of us do. In a new poll... 58% of Americans actually buy that a rodent in Pennsylvania can accurately predict the weather. <laughs> 58% buy into the myth of the groundhog. In fact, according to a survey of 2,000 Americans conducted by one poll, uh, one in four Americans strongly agree with Phil's powers of perception versus, say, what meteorologists have to say. You know, like the scientists, the people actually study this sort of thing uh historically the groundhog day uh the groundhog is about as accurate as a coin flip uh phil is accurate 39 percent of the time and so just so you know just so you're aware 39 percent is the uh accuracy accuracy rate um of uh but nonetheless every february 2nd Americans eagerly await the predictions of the groundhog uh, this year, six more weeks of winter. Phil saw his shadow. This is the 108th time that Phil has seen his shadow. Um, and here again, more proof about his uh, long-term accuracy. According to the National Centers for Environmental Information, the groundhog has predicted an early spring uh, only 20 times. It's, it's very rare, actually, that he doesn't see his shadow. And as I mentioned yesterday, it's because they pull him out of his stump and they turn all the lights on so everybody can see. And there are shadows everywhere. Of course he sees his shadow. Um, he has been right about 40% of the time uh, over the course of the past decade. Uh, Phil was accurate for several regions when he made his first prediction of more winter back in 1887. And I think because he was right the first time, it kind of kind of caught on. But how interesting is it? <laughs> what does it say that the National Centers for Environmental Information actually tracks this? I mean, I think I think they're adding legitimacy just by virtue of the fact that they're tracking this sort of thing. You know what I mean? Anyway, uh, let's see. This is one of the uh, more interesting stories of the day, and it's not getting a whole lot of play in the national headlines. It's not one of the top stories in the news, but one worth knowing and one worth 
following here, a U.S. Court of Appeals has ruled that a federal law banning people who are subject to domestic violence restraining orders from owning guns is unconstitutional. There's a law that said if you have a restraining order for a domestic violence case, if you have a restraining order against a an estranged spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, if it's a domestic violence case in which a uh, restraining order has been issued, you cannot purchase a gun. And a U.S. Court of Appeals has ruled that that federal law is unconstitutional. The Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals said the federal law does not meet what is called the Bruin Test, which requires that a gun law have a historical analogy to gun regulations that were in place at the time the Constitution was written. And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I mean, however you feel about this particular law, I mean, I think we would all agree it's probably good if a if somebody who is subject to a restraining order on a domestic violence case doesn't have a gun. I mean, that's probably uh, a good thing. Whether this federal law prohibiting it is goes beyond the Constitution, what the Constitution allows. But uh, if you want to, if you try to relate that back to uh, a regulation in place at the time the Constitution was uh, written, and you think about it, spouses didn't have a whole lot of rights, particularly women. Wives didn't have a whole lot of rights back at the time the Constitution was written. So not a big surprise they couldn't find a, a direct parallel to a law of that era. But uh, anyway, make of it what you will. But there it is. Uh, certainly an interesting uh, story here. Some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. Um, you know how egg prices have been on the rise uh, lately because of bird flu and, and everything else. Um, as egg prices rise, some Americans are turning to a new solution, backyard farming. And we've talked about this uh, in the past, but I thought this story was interesting. Purely Poultry, a chicken supplier in Wisconsin, has seen a 28% increase in sales of live chickens as compared to last year. 28% bump. But uh, this is what I thought was interesting in the story. Uh, it goes on to ask, would owning your own chickens actually be cheaper than just biting the bullet and paying the higher price of eggs? Uh, first of all, you have to see what the rules are for owning chickens in your neighborhood. Chickens need coops, and that can cost anywhere between $300 and $2,800 to buy. And then you need heat lamps, soft bedding, and... All of those types of things. Uh, you should also expect to spend $35 per month on feed for three hens. So you've got that expense. And as for the output, one grown hen will lay about five eggs per week on average. So depending on how many eggs you eat and how many hens you have, you can do the math on your own. But those are the uh, Those are the numbers. So... I don't know. What is the break-even point for the cost of eggs? Presumably, people have done the math, but I'm guessing probably not. There's probably a fair number of people who just think, hey, it'd be cheaper to have my own chickens without considering everything. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. One thing's for sure, uh, it's not uh, the, the chicken 
shortage. The bird flu is not uh, not curbed the availability of chicken wings, apparently. A record number of chicken wings expected to be eaten by Americans during the Super Bowl next weekend. The National Chicken Council predicts football fans will consume 1.45 billion chicken wings uh, for Super Bowl 57. That is up by about 84 million wings from last year's big game, despite the bird flu and chicken shortage and, and all of that. The organization said a return of Super Bowl gatherings combined with more favorable prices are the reasons for the increase. So, there we go. Be, may not uh, have as many eggs. Eggs may be pricier, but we're still eating those wings, that's for sure. I thought this was uh, kind of interesting. We talk about uh, buzzworthy stories of the day. This is certainly one of those. You can discuss this amongst yourselves. A new poll finds many Americans would characterize the United States as a dysfunctional family. <laughs> you were to take the state of the country and the state of discourse in this country and compare it to a dysfunctional family. A sentiment widely held among members of both political parties. This was a Fox News poll asked voters about efforts to unify the country ahead of President Biden's State of the Union address next week. 81% of Americans describe the U.S. as a dysfunctional family on the verge of splitting apart. <laughs> That's an increase of 10 percentage points uh, from just two years ago, from 2020. Only 16% say America is a tight, tightly knit family, would compare the United States to a tightly knit family. Uh, 86% of Republicans and independents see the U.S. as dysfunctional, as do 74% of Democrats. So it's the one thing that we can agree on is that we're dysfunctional. That's the... <laughs> All right. <clears throat> and uh, maybe this is one of the reasons why. This new study from Cardiff University and the University of Bath. Now, this is in England, but I think this applies. This may be why the United States is so dysfunctional. This study uh, says that reflecting on life values before you begin a discussion can improve civil dialogue. Researchers studied 300 people. They divided them into small groups and had them discuss a hot-button issue. In this case, uh, they were talking about the cost of a higher education, tuition rates, student loans, that kind of thing. Before the debate, half of the participants reflected on their life values. And those who did so were 61% more likely to display humility in the heated discussion. By pausing to reflect on personal values before engaging in these kinds of conversations, our interactions could become more harmonious, according to the uh, authors of the study. Our interactions could become more harmonious. In other words, there's a long way to go to say, think before you speak. <laughs> Which I think is probably, we have lost that ability 
these days. You know what I mean? I think I think that may be onto something. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly sunny today, really cold, a high of only 15. Partly cloudy tonight, low of 10. Two brothers from Toledo agreed to a plea deal with the Hancock County Prosecutor's Office and pleaded guilty in connection with the shooting death of a Finley man nearly five years ago. Both Rudy Moya and Ishmael Moya pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter with the gun specification. Rudy Moya also pleaded guilty to aggravated burglary. He was sentenced to 17 years behind bars while his brother got 14. A third person was previously sentenced in connection with the death and a fourth individual previously pleaded guilty and will be sentenced in March. In February 2018, Jeffrey Gary was found shot to death at an address on Fox Street in Findlay. Get more on the website. A Philadelphia Eagles backup guard who is a native of Noble County in eastern Ohio will miss the Super Bowl after being indicted. Joshua Sills is charged with rape and kidnapping in Guernsey County. He's due in court in two weeks. The indictment says this incident happened in 2019. And a statement from the Eagles says the organization is aware of the legal matter involving Josh Sills. We have been in communication with the league office and are in the process of gathering more information. I'm Angela Ann. General Motors is gearing up to start electric vehicle production at the Toledo Propulsion Systems plant. $760 million will be invested into this plant in order to start production a year from now. This will help GM get on track to follow President Biden's 2030 EV goals, where nearly half of new car sales must be electric. Toledo's plant will still be making engines made for diesel and gas. WTOL 11's Amanda Fay reporting. Special Olympics Ohio will be holding the Northwest Ohio Regional Special Olympics Basketball Tournament in Van Buren this weekend. Games will take place in the middle and high school gyms beginning at 8.30 in the morning on Saturday and Sunday. A total of 34 teams from 26 counties in Northwest Ohio will be participating. Hancock County Special Olympics will have two teams competing in the tournament. Hancock County Special Olympics is coordinated through the Blanchard Valley Center, Hancock County Board of Developmental Disabilities. Get more on the website. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So our cover story this morning uh, is kind of an interesting one here. These days, you use the word inclusiveness, and that is likely to generate a pretty strong reaction, right? But if you set aside all of the political rhetoric that it conjures up and the divisiveness pushed by people with an agenda at the end of the day when it comes down to the one-on-one in our daily lives i think we would all like to believe that we treat people the way we would want to be treated right and that's the definition of inclusiveness we like to think that but do we really Omri Johnson is a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist and author of the book, Reconstructing Inclusion, Making DEI Accessible, Actionable, and Sustainable. And earlier this week, we spoke to him about the book and how to be a better coworker. You're uh, talking primarily about the workplace here as well as other organizations that involve diverse groups of people. And you make the point that most of us would never dream of ostracizing our coworkers intentionally, but we may be doing it subconsciously. Yeah, we, we actually might be doing it without realizing it. Absolutely. I think the opportunity is 
to be able to check in with folks to see if you're creating the conditions for them to thrive. And I, I believe that that's what inclusion is all about. Do you, are you creating the right conditions for people, regardless of what their backgrounds are, uh, to, to do their best work and make their best contribution to the organization and be happy. Yeah. So if we, if we can actually, if we can actually make sure we don't miss that, that that's what inclusion is all about. Right. And, and I think the reason I bring that up, because right up front, I think it's important to point out that this isn't about assigning blame or telling me I'm a bad person, that I must be prejudiced or sexist or homophobic or what have you. This isn't about labeling mm-hmm. people because that's where all of the divisiveness starts. Absolutely. I think you, you missed the mark when you, when you call people out in a way that, that doesn't, uh, bring them into a conversation to see what might be getting in the way of your connectivity, your ability to see each other's humanity and, and your ability at the end of the day to get work done. Cause that's what we're really right. an organization for. Exactly. So you have, uh, five as, as some examples here, five simple things that we can do that quite often people don't do or don't think about that can make the people that we work with or the people that we interact with on any level feel more welcomed, accepted and invited into the group as it were. And they are simple like the first one actively seeking out new people at work how it doesn't get any easier than that <laughs> i think so and we get busy and we like people who we like um usually people like ourselves not just by the the outer um diversity that we might have but sometimes just by the 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 topic that we're interested in. I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, for example. Oh well, and wait a I minute. No, if, we if can I just a- we can just stop right here. <laughs> we can just stop right here. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your li- I hope your listeners don't cut me off after that. Sentence. Um, but but um, I grew up in Kansas, and so if somebody is from the area, or the region, there's sure. a shorthand that we have. And the result is we, we, we're going to have a certain connectivity that I wouldn't naturally or, or immediately have with everybody. And that can go for any type of similarity. So it's good to connect on similarities, but it's also to reach, reach out to people that you, you don't know might have similar similarities to you. And especially those people who have a different way of looking at the world because of their embodied or lived experience. So absolutely reach out to people you haven't, you might learn something. And if nothing else, you might actually add some, some sh- sunshine to their day. Well, and, and you know, that actually leads to one of the other points that you make in, in asking people to share where they are local. And, and here you're talking about finding uh, out where, where people like to hang out, where they socialize, where they go out to eat, where they go to church and so on and so forth. Right. Is that what that's kind of all about? Yeah, that's, that's part of it. I think some people live, have lived all over the world. And so where they have um, places where they feel like they have relationships, sometimes there's certain restrictions where they might be. Uh, so they might be able to be really familiar with a place, but no, there's certain places that I'm not necessarily welcomed even within that society. I'll give myself that as, a, as an example. I'm based in Basel, Switzerland. And so my first language is English and the language uh, lingua franca in, uh, in this part of Switzerland is Swiss German. So I, there's restrictions for me because I don't speak Swiss German. Mm-hmm. And so there's sometimes for me being local fully in uh, Basel where I live, it's taken me more time to feel like I have a lay of the land that I could interact with people in a seamless way. And while most yeah. people speak English, 
I want to be able to speak that that local language because it makes a difference one or on how you connect. There are some other practical uh, ways that that we can help people feel more included, which again is as simple as giving others a chance to share their ideas. And how often have we done that where we don't solicit ideas from those outside of our closest circle? Absolutely, Chris. I, I, I sometimes define inclusion. One of the ways I define inclusion is a willingness to be influenced by the so-called other. And so other could be just somebody who's in a different department than you. Uh, other could also be somebody who has a different social uh, kind of set or complexity of social identities than you do. And so, so that's one way to make sure that you're open enough that when somebody says something that might be outside of what you believe, that you can stay open to it, even if you disagree. It's okay to disagree. It's not okay to shut people down because you can't learn that way. Yeah. And then, of course, sometimes you just need to shut up and listen. And that's way more difficult than we give ourselves credit. We sometimes think we're great listeners. But did you really hear what somebody said because you were open? Because if you're not open to somebody, you'll hear part of it or you hear what you want to hear mm-hmm. or you hear what's convenient to you. But it's not really true listening. Doing the little things that make people feel a sense of belonging is one of the other tips here. And I think you were kind of touching on this a little bit earlier, but what exactly does that mean? What are some of the little things that we can do that, again, may go overlooked and we might not just might not think about? Yeah, I, I mean, people people have the, the biggest thing, um, Chris, is get to know who people are. And so if somebody has something that's really important to them, learn about it. And that can help people feel like they belong. Sometimes it means inviting somebody, seeing what they're interested in um, business-wise, and inviting them to one of your meetings to learn more about what you do if they're interested in that, learning more about that, or asking if you can join them to learn more about what they do in a meeting or in a, a quick uh, call. Mm-hmm. Or then, you know, of course, we can always do really common gestures by getting somebody a coffee or ordering a person the coffee because it builds relationship. And at the end of it all, inclusion is a relational construct. And the more we can do to create trust, to create a sense of safety, openness, and and care, the, the outcome usually is that we've built deeper relationships. And when you do that, inclusion is is a lot more simple than we sometimes give it credit. Yeah, and and finally, the the last tip, and again, it it sounds simple, but I would imagine this one is a little bit more difficult uh, in practice. It sounds simple to say, but in practice, being authentic and encouraging authenticity, boy, that can be that can be tough. It can. I, I think the biggest thing is is around integrity, Chris. Um, do what you say you're going to do. And I think that is the, probably the most authentic thing we can do because sometimes uncovering things that you want to stay covered. Some people don't want to share some of their identity with other people. Some, some, some identities you can't hide, but others people might want to share. I've had colleagues who felt like they, uh, they were from the LGBTQ community uh, and they didn't feel comfortable coming out because they came out to so many people so many times and they're mm. not always immediately comfortable doing that with an individual. Yeah. And others are, are very open to it. So if you can not have to cover because you've built enough trust with your community or with your individual colleagues, that's fantastic. If you can't do that, in addition, 
even if you can, you should be doing what you say you're going to do, being authentic um, and making sure that when somebody does disclose to you that you're open to it and, and don't uh, immediately judge them or, or create a, a certain um, belief or yeah. opinion about them without fully getting to know them. That being said, uh, is the reverse also true? I mean, you know, you use the LGBTQ uh, community uh, as an example. If someone uh, is is coming out or shares that with you, is it okay to be authentic and say, you know what, I'm just not sure how comfortable I am uh, with this? You're usually uncomfortable because you're unfamiliar. Right. Well, and that's so what if, I mean. If, if, I say, you, if I say I'm not comfortable because I don't understand, can you help me here? I would say if somebody feels that way, um, first of all, sit with the discomfort ver before verbalizing it. Try to pause on your assessment of somebody until you get to know them for who they are, for their humanity, because all of this is centered on our humanity. And regardless of who we love or how we identify ourselves with our pronouns, at the end of it all, it's our humanity. And we have to do our best to uh, see each other's humanity. That would be my recommendation rather than straight out coming and saying, uh, I'm uncomfortable with, with who you are as a yeah. human. As I hear you talk about these things, it also strikes me that this is effective in not just being more welcoming and kind to marginalized individuals, to in individuals of marginalized groups, such as the LGBTQ uh, community. This actually uh, is about anyone who feels like they are not really part of the group for whatever reason, whether it's a, a single mom or someone who may be financially struggling and may feel that they're the only ones who are dealing with it. I mean, a lot of this uh, it goes beyond just the, those those traditional labels that we think of when we say inclusivity. Anybody can practice inclusion if you are doing things that create the conditions for other people to thrive. And if that happens to be a single mother, if that happens to be a mother that is just coming off a parental leave, if that happens to be a father who wants to take longer parental leave than is usually given by organizations mm -hmm. and is willing to do that um, even at his, on his own dime, um, that is a fantastic opportunity to practice inclusion. How often have we uh, heard that say, everybody has a story. Um, Omri Johnson, <laughs> Omri Johnson is uh, author of Reconstructing Inclusion, Making DEI Accessible, Actionable, and Sustainable. You have a, a website where folks can uh, find out more about the book? Absolutely. You can go to uh, reconstructinginclusion.com and of course, follow me, Omri, A-M-R-I Johnson, on LinkedIn and other social channels. Omri, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate uh, you joining us, even if you are a, a Chiefs fan. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you so much for the talk. Our uh, conversation earlier this week with Omri Johnson, uh, the author of Reconstructing Inclusion, Kind of interesting to take a, a holistic look at the term inclusion and what that really means and how we can be better at it with our fellow co-workers and our fellow human beings. We've got a link up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. So the tax filing season officially opened on January 23rd, and by now you should have all of your W-2s and 1099s. 
But before you file, you'll probably want to know what you will encounter that is new this year. So joining us this morning is Lisa Green-Lewis, CPA and tax expert for TurboTax. Lisa, how have the tax law change uh, tax laws changed if at all for the uh, 2020 2022 filing year the biggest changes people will see are um, provisions under the american rescue plan they're either reverting to pre-american rescue plan or going away so for instance the child tax credit that went up to $3600 in tax year 2021 that's going back to $2000 uh, the child and dependent care credit that went up to eight thousand dollars for if you have two or more kids. That's going back to twenty one hundred dollars. Mm. And then for the ninety percent of taxpayers that were able to claim uh, charitable contrib non cash charitable contributions up to three hundred dollars, that's going away. So it's going to be uh, you have to be able to claim itemized deductions to claim your charitable contribution. So those are quite a few changes that will uh, impact pretty dem- dramatically uh, how some people, you know, the, the numbers that some people uh, see. And I would imagine that could end up meaning that some people who might expect to get a pretty hefty refund based on last year's numbers might be in for a bit of a surprise. If they were eligible for some of those credits uh, last year, uh, they may see a difference in their refund. But just remember, uh, you know, there were inflation adjustments made to some deductions. Um, Like, for instance, the the standard deduction, that went up for if you're single to $12,950. Married filing jointly is $25,900. Okay. So uh, some differences there as well. So with all of that in mind, now I know before we get to uh, that, let me also ask you about this because again, we're talking about changes. I know that there were changes to the thresholds for uh, payments that are reported on Form 1099-K. And then there was also a delay on that rule change. It seemed to be rather confusing. What are the circumstances in which that might impact me? And what would that impact be? Okay, so the main thing people need to know, um, there was a delay announced by the IRS on December 23rd, and it delayed a new um, reporting threshold that was put in place. So before, with the 1099-K, payment providers would report your payments process at over 200 transactions and $20,000. And then under the American Rescue Plan, it was reduced to over $600. On December 23rd, the IRS announced that they're going to delay that new reporting requirement of over $600. So people won't see the 1099-K form again unless they have over 200 transactions and $20,000. Okay, so, uh, and, and that's probably not going to impact too many people. So with all of this in mind, uh, and again, with some of these changes that are pretty dramatic, how then can the average filer maximize their tax refund, which is always the ultimate goal? Yes, I would make sure that you don't wait until the last minute. First of all, um, gather all your documents in one place and especially receipts or forms that show anything that could be deductible. Like, for instance, if you're a parent and you take your child to daycare, um, we talked about that credit. You want to have your documentation for that. Mm-hmm. If 
want to have their correct social security numbers because you need the correct social security number in order to claim the valuable uh, deductions and credits for your kids. If you're a homeowner, you want to have um, like your form that reports your home mortgage interest and or your property taxes. And then self-employed as well. They have so many business deductions that they could take, but you want to make sure you gather your receipts so you don't forget anything. I, this may be a bit of an uh, open-ended question. Um, are there tax trends that, that you are seeing uh, this filing year? Yeah, so we're always looking at trends, and we have a tax trend report, and we see shifts in income, um, shifts in employment, as well as investing. And so all of these shifts can impact um, your taxes and in a positive way, because through a lot of shifts or life changes, uh, there are a lot of deductions and credits you can take. You know, whenever uh, you have a big life change, uh, that obviously can dramatically alter the way you file and how complicated that may be. Um, but filing filing your taxes for a lot of folks is, is always uh, potentially uh, complicated. There are a lot of pitfalls that we want to make sure that we avoid. What are the options that are available for those who want or need a little extra guidance with respect to filing their taxes? They could come to TurboTax and fully hand their taxes over to a TurboTax Live full service tax expert who can prepare their taxes in one meeting while they wait and get their taxes done. And then we also have a tax return lifetime guarantee. You can go to TurboTax.com. And and by the way, I, I think it's also probably worth uh, mentioning for those who maybe are not yet ready to sit down and spend uh, all of the time that is necessary to uh, complete their filing right now, uh, with these uh, platforms such as TurboTax, you can go in and and start it, save your progress, work a little bit on it now, come back uh, maybe next weekend, uh, and and so on and so forth. Kind of break that down into more manageable chunks. You don't always have to necessarily do it all at one time. Right. Yes. That that's a very good tip because it's however people want to do it, and it, it's early enough. Yeah. Exactly. Again, uh, Lisa Green-Lewis is a CPA tax expert for TurboTax. We'll get a link up on our webpage for some uh, more information, more guidance, more help for uh, folks uh, on that. Lisa, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. into the latter stages of the high school basketball season. Before you know it, it'll be tournament time. The Trojans have a couple of games this weekend, tonight and tomorrow. They'll be on the road at Fremont Ross this evening and then at Elida tomorrow. In case you missed it from earlier this week, Trojans head coach Jim Rookie spoke with our John Marshall about this weekend's games and preparing for the upcoming tournament draw. Your team has been running at a frantic pace through January, playing nine games in 24 days. 
This week, you get a bit of a breather. Let's start with the clay game last Friday. A home game, you took the Eagles to town, giving them a 70 to 18 drubbing. You beat them earlier at their place by 17. It can't just be that it was a home game that made the difference there. No, you know, I, I we we didn't play really well up there. We weren't just weren't sharp. You know, we we did some really good things, but we just weren't quite sharp. Came out of there with a with a win, and we're happy about that. But we knew we could play much better, and we've gotten better since then. Obviously, I think the kids believed that you know we had to come out and play uh, hard and keep continue to to you know make progress and. As long as we did that, I knew we'd be okay. But uh, you know, I, I think our guys did a really good job of coming out with intensity and getting after it right from the tip, and things just kind of snowballed from there then. And this Friday, you go to Fremont Ross, a team that you beat by 25 in the meeting at your place a month ago. What did you take away from that game that you can implement uh, when you go to their new gym? They're athletic, you know, and, and we did a really good job of executing. We shot the ball pretty well that game. I thought we did a, a really nice job defensively on a couple of their guys. Uh, Luke uh, Wyrow and, and Ryan Montgomery did a really good job guarding a couple key guys for them. We need to do that again. And I think we've been playing at a pretty high level the last month, even though we went through a you know, a streak of lost a couple games. We still played really hard and competed really well, playing at a high level against good teams, and uh, just trying to continue to do that. Now, Saturday, you head to the Elida Field House to meet up with the Bulldogs. They're struggling a bit this season with seven and nine overall, oh, one and five in the Western Buckeye League. Of course, you are one and two against WBL teams this season, beating St. Mary's and losing to Defiance and Ottawa Glendorf. So maybe that's a little deceiving. What's your opinion on Elida? Well, I saw them this past weekend live, and uh, they play hard. They uh, really hit the offensive uh, offensive glass. And, uh, you know, they're going to come out and compete. And we're going to try to play a full-court game and pressure. And uh, it's another game where, you, you know, you, you have to come out ready to play. Next week, it's another uninterrupted string of practice days before another double weekend. Will that be working on drills that are refreshers on the basics? Or are you gearing up for tournament play because the, the draw is this Sunday, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, we you know, we try never to leave the basic stuff. And, it does give us a little more opportunity to hit those a little bit harder when we have a, a, a you know, what what is more traditional week, the way basketball, high school basketball used to be, you know, Friday, Saturday. Uh, gives you a little chance to, to string a couple days in a row together of, of working on something maybe, maybe adding something, a little wrinkle to, to what you do. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, these weeks of, of having more traditional uh, practice time. Finley Boys basketball coach Jim Rookie, thanks so much for your time. Good luck on the road this weekend. Thanks, John. Again, the uh, Trojans are at Fremont Ross tonight, 7.15 or thereabouts to be airtime here on WFIN. And then tomorrow, uh, the Trojans travel to Elida and a, a slightly earlier tip-off on that one will be on the air right around 5.15 for the uh, game at Elida with the uh, Bulldogs uh, tomorrow. So both games right here on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. Meanwhile, across our uh, family of stations, uh, other action we have for you this evening in the BVC. Pandora Gilboa travels to Liberty Benton. We'll have that game for you on 100.5 WKXA tonight. And over on 106.3 The Fox, the... Uh 
Ottawa Glendorf Titans will host Shawnee and Lakota East tonight and tomorrow. Uh, and both of those games will be on the Fox. And, of course, you can follow all of the area action on the WFIN scoreboard page continuously updated in real time, powered by ScoreStream and presented by Owens Community College. We've got a link up there at goodmornings.net. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. We begin with a uh, follow-up to the uh, Groundhog Day story from uh, from yesterday. Groundhog Day yesterday. And uh, they had a bit of a uh, problem in Quebec where they celebrate uh, Groundhog Day. Um, when <laughs> the beloved groundhog Fred turned up dead. <laughs> the prognosticating rodent was found unresponsive in his pen just hours before his annual duty of telling Canadians if winter is staying or going. <laughs> Little bit of an emergency there in Quebec. So, uh, with Fred... Having passed to the great beyond, uh, the city instead did the next next best thing, had a small child forecast. <laughs> this is a report from CBC said uh, Fred serviced uh, the uh, city of Val d'Espoir, Quebec. I hope I have that right. And was found deceased early Thursday, right, <laughs> right before he was to deliver his prognostication. Apparently, the area's Groundhog Day festivities went on as usual, though, with revelers unaware that the famous marmot was no longer of this earth. Uh, Fred's keeper, Roberto Blunden, Fred's keeper, uh, made the somber announcement before the crowd, saying, In life, the only thing that's certain is that nothing is certain. Well, this year it's true, and it's unfortunate. I have to announce the death of Fred. Kind of put a damper on the festivities, I would think. Uh, Fred, who was nine years old, passed away while in hibernation. In order to honor the rodent, Mr. Blondin spoke of how Fred loved children and therefore it would satisfy his wishes to see a child take over his annual duty. So he brought up a kid who was wearing a groundhog, groundhog hat uh, just at random from the crowd. The tyke predicted winter would stick around for six more weeks. Mr. Blondin also lifted the child up for the crowd to see, holding him similarly to how he held up Fred back in the day. <laughs> Renee Lorendow, who served as Fred's press agent, said the rodent enjoyed an 80% accuracy with his predictions. And while funeral, uh, funeral arrangements are being made for Fred, the torch now passes to his offspring, affectionately named Fred Jr. Well, <laughs> But I guess Fred Jr. wasn't ready to make the prediction this year, so they had to improvise. <laughs> that's that's embarrassing. Can you imagine the panic when you go to get Fred to make his Groundhog Day prediction and the star of the show <laughs> is not alive? Oh, man. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the uh, broken news... This from Iowa, where a senior care facility is facing a substantial fine after falsely pronouncing a resident had passed on. 
The Iowa Department of Inspections and Appeals issued two state violations against Glen Oaks Special Care Center in Urbandale, which is outside of Des Moines. Apparently, uh, the uh, resident was pronounced deceased and taken to a funeral home in a body bag where it was later discovered that she was alive. <laughs> Oops. Oops. <clears throat> Somebody's got some explaining to do. Uh, this is our dumb criminal of the day. And this one, this one is a good one. This one is a good one. Uh, this is from, uh, Mississippi. Uh, it involves a cold case out of Pinellas County, Florida. And it happened in Mississippi. The case was cold until a potential suspect was lured with the promise of a free meal. 55 year old. Michael Lepnisky Jr. was arrested for the murder of a Florida woman in 1987. Due to advancements in DNA testing, uh, police began to suspect Mr. Lepnisky in connection with the the case. But the problem was they did not have a good DNA sample uh, to to test against. They had DNA uh, from the crime scene, but they needed a good DNA sample from uh, Mr. Lipniewski. Uh So police <laughs> advertised a free meal at a restaurant. And sure enough, it was too much for Mr. Lipniewski to resist. He showed up for his free meal and police were able to use the silverware that he ate with to run DNA tests. He was arrested in Mississippi yesterday and will be extradited to Pinellas County. Um, and he also, it turns out, is a person of interest in two other crimes. So, <laughs> free meal? Where do I sign up? Uh, again, not too bright. But good that they got their man. I just, I love thinking out of the box. The law enforcement, that's great. Uh, police are searching for the people who stole about 100 boxes of Girl Scout cookies on the northwest side of Chicago this past weekend. That's, how how low do you have to be to steal Girl Scout cookies? And yet every year we have these stories in the news about somebody stealing Girl Scout cookies. Apparently, uh, police say the Girl Scouts and their parents were unloading cookies from a truck on Saturday when two people walk, walked up and just took off, absconded with six cases of thin mints. Total value, a little over $400. Girl Scout officials say the missing boxes were replaced so that orders could be filled, but somebody's out the 400 bucks. Man, how low do you have to be? Steal Girl Scout cookies. And finally, in the broken news this morning... The director of a private zoo in southern Mexico is facing charges for allegedly stealing dozens of animals and then selling them. (laughs) Here's the director of the zoo who was selling off the animals. Not only that, he is accused of serving up four of the zoo's pygmy goats at the staff Christmas party. Yes, he served them up as the main course at the staff Christmas party. <laughs> Jose Ruben Nava headed the zoo's uh, headed the zoo 
Uh, it's about 170 miles south of Mexico City. He was only on the job for a few months. He is accused of trading some animals for others from private owners and for tools and materials to maintain the zoo. Many of the animals went, went missing with no record of what happened to them. But they know what happened, apparently, to the four goats that were served up for Christmas dinner. <laughs> there you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the news. And we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And yet another major brand just announced is halting all social media advertising. The two most overused and abused words in advertising are truth and trust. They are the two most precious commodities for all brands, big and small. As an advertiser, you have to trust your partners to protect your brand's truth using the media consumer's trust. Radio, it's on. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. You'd think we would have learned this during the COVID-19 pandemic, but a new survey finds that three out of four people still feel obligated to show up at work when they are sick. 38% of those say that they show their face to prove that they are sick. Uh, The same survey, though, showed 57% of respondents would really prefer sick workers to stay home <laughs> we're showing up sick but our co-workers don't want us to the poll was commissioned by the cough medicine brand bronco stop uh, revealed why those why those who are under the weather uh, try to uh, man up and show up anyway 42 percent say they fear that taking a sick day would make them appear unreliable 41 percent say they don't want to saddle their colleagues with their workload 34 percent say they have too much to do and don't want to fall behind by taking a day off. 21% rationalize that it's a way to prove their dedication to the job. And 18% say they don't trust others to do their work properly when they're not there. (laughs) Nearly 60% in the poll feel that the best way to overcome a cold is to act act like they don't have one. And so that's why they show up for work. Um, that said, 43% consider those who do show up, uh, to work when they are ill selfish. So if you're going to work when you're sick, 43% believe that you are being selfish and nearly 50% say that they would have no problem telling a sick coworker to just go home. My wife, Kyra, has joined us in the studio this morning with another collection of scrumptious recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) Uh, We're kind of... Got a sort of a south of the border flair yeah, here today. Kind sorta. of a Mexican flair. Yeah, yeah. I tried this uh, the chicken bowl the other night, and it was really good. Yeah. So. Sounds really good. I, yeah. This was one of those nights when I wasn't home. I was yeah. doing something else. So yeah. I, haven't, I haven't tried these, uh, <laughs> but they uh, sound really yummy. We have a, a recipe for chicken burrito bowls. Yes, so it's two pounds of boneless, skinless uh, chicken thighs or breasts. Uh, one uh, teaspoon of garlic powder, one teaspoon of onion powder, one tablespoon of chili powder, 
a half a teaspoon of cumin, one teaspoon of dried basil, and salt and pepper to taste. So, and then you've got your cilantro, uh, your rice, which cilantro is lime, lime rice, rice to go, yes, so, to go with it, yeah, which is one cup of long grain uh, white rice, two cups of chicken broth, a half a teaspoon of salt, a quarter teaspoon of ground cumin. Uh, two tablespoons of fresh uh, lime juice, one teaspoon of lime zest, and two tablespoons of your uh, fresh uh, chopped cilantro. So, um, and then your toppings, then whatever, whatever you, you would, want. Yeah. Whatever you would have on yeah. a burrito. Yeah. Like beans, beans tomatoes, avocados, onions, onion. right. shredded cheese, sour cream, whatever. Mm. Any or all of the yes. above. So for your chicken in a small bowl, combine all your seasonings, then heat a couple tablespoons of oil uh, in a large skillet over medium high heat. I, I added a little bit of butter also. Uh, then place your chicken in your skillet. I use my iron. I was going to say, yeah, use the iron, iron skillet. Yeah, yeah, I use my iron skillet. Then sprinkle your seasonings um, on top. Uh, let it cook on one side for three to four minutes. Um, and then uh, flip it over, add some more seasonings, uh, three to four more minutes, and then flip it again and tilt, and then add a little bit more seasoning. You know, so you're kind of, yeah, you're kind of seasoning it as you go until it's completely cooked through. Uh, until it reaches 165 degrees uh, in the middle Mm -hmm. or, you know. Right. I mean, um, so then for the rice, combine the rice, the chicken broth, the salt, the ground cumin uh, in a large uh, saucepan or skillet. Bring to a boil over medium-high heat. Cover with a lid. uh, Reduce the heat to medium-low. Then let it simmer for about 20 minutes. Then remove it from the heat. But keep the lid on. Let it stand for about another 10 minutes or so. Okay. Uh, just to make sure that all that liquid is gone and all it's all soaked up and all your of the rice is. Seasonings yes. have been yep. absorbed and. Yep. So all then of that. remove the lid, add your, your lime juice, your zest, and your cilantro. Uh, fluff with fluff with a fork and then uh, place your rice in the bottom of a small bowl. Add your tick chicken and all your toppings and enjoy Mm, yeah Yeah. that is uh really good so the chicken burrito bowls with the cilantro lime rice and then as a side you've got a corn muffin recipe so this is uh one and three-fourths cups of all-purpose flour one teaspoon of baking powder a half a teaspoon of salt quarter cup of butter softened quarter cup of granulated sugar three tablespoons of honey, two large eggs, two-thirds cup milk, and a half a cup of whole kernel corn. Um, If you use the um, canned corn, make sure it's drained. If you use your frozen corn, that's fine. Um, if you use fresh corn off the cob, it's usually it's probably going to be about two cobs if you did it that way. So, <laughs> two cobs worth yes, of corn. Okay, two, if, you know, right. for for that. So All right. preheat your oven to four hundred degrees. Uh, prepare your muffin pans with a cupcake liner or grease them well. Uh, combine your flour, your baking powder, and your salt. Strain until well combined. Set that aside. Then, in a large bowl, beat together your butter, your sugar, your honey until that's light and fluffy. Then add your eggs and your milk. Um, Stir that up uh, carefully. Then mix in your dry ingredients. Stir just until combined. Add your corn. Stir that up. And then uh, prepare your muffin pans. So put, you know, about about two-thirds or so in each muff- muffin pan because, of course, it's going to expand. Right, okay. So you yep. don't want to overflow it. Yeah. 
Uh, bake for 20 to 25 minutes until um, your toothpick or knife, um, I use a toothpick, uh, comes out clean in the center and you're done. The other thing you can thinking, do is the thumb test yeah. and just press your thumb in there. And mm-hmm. I, I so. was thinking uh, if you end up with more corn than you need for the right. corn muffins, you can use that as an additional oh, topping, topping on your, for your bowl. On your oh, yeah, bowl. most yeah. definitely. So yep. Don't worry about having too much corn. Yes, yes. <laughs> So, uh, good stuff. Uh, The uh, chicken burrito bowls and the cilantro lime rice and the uh, corn muffins on the side. Yes. Really good stuff. Those uh, recipes, of course, are posted on the uh, Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page Mm -hmm. at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN on Facebook. So, make sure that you uh, like Kyra's... kitchen facebook page for uh, all of those recipes and if you have a recipe that you would like to share we would love to share it yes all you have to do is uh well you can share it right there on the uh, facebook Facebook page page. Mm -hmm. you can also uh, email us uh the uh the recipe if you have one to share yep uh send it to us at goodmornings at wfin.com goodmornings at wfin.com um and or you can share it on uh, on facebook you can message Kyra if there's something that you are looking for um you're always looking for oh yeah i'm always looking for recipes always looking for next week is going to be i'm trying to figure out some stuff for the super bowl yeah so we'll make that we'll make that a challenge yeah uh if you have have super bowl yeah if you have a idea a favorite super bowl uh party recipe by all means share it because we're going to share those uh next Next week week. for the big game so uh we're looking for ideas but all right. I'm still so, trying little, to figure something out. A uh, little preview there of uh, what we've got coming up next week. And uh, if there's something that you are looking for, uh, let us know. And we'll put Kyra on the case. And uh, if you have been looking for a recipe for whatever. Yes. yes. Get her working on that as well. So again, you can contact us those same, same ways. We do have a link up. Uh, to the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at our webpage at goodmornings.net. By the way, my wife Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests, of course, for joining us on the program this morning. And once again, remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Go there now. Coming up Monday on the program, more than $82 million will be waged on the Super Bowl in Ohio alone now that it's legal. We'll tell you what every first-time sports gambler needs to know about betting on the big game. So until Monday morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. Catch you back here next week.